Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I don't think in my entire career as a preacher I've ever preached on humility. But if but but this is what the Lord led, so uh, that's where we're going. Philippians 2 and verse 11. So it's Christ's path to humility. Uh, and uh, did you hear about the guy that wrote a book, The World's Ten Most Humble People and What I Taught the Other Nine? <laughs> I think I had that guy in one of my classes once, but uh, <laughs> Greek, Greek will humble you, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think he's the same guy that wrote the book, Humility My Way. Well, only Jesus Christ can write that book. And, and here it is. It's, it's in the Bible. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, take this passage and printed on our hearts, on our minds especially, that we think the thoughts of Christ and learn to abandon our, abandon our own thoughts. So important. Let us think the thoughts of Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a little book here. Love is dot, dot, dot. Okay. And uh, 1969 it was written by uh, a guy named Don Hillis, compiled, that says, True Life Romances, compiled by Don Hillis. Okay, and uh, I, I read this, I believe, when I was your age, in college, if I remember correctly, still have the book, and uh, what a blessing it was. I prayed for nine years for the right wife, that God would lead me to my wife in such a way that everyone would know that God did it, and uh, some of you have heard my story in my classes. You freshmen, you'll hear it in my class if you haven't heard it already. And God is just so good. It's been 41 years now and still going strong, still in love. We still hold hands. And uh, it's precious. But this story is about a young lady who had some pride. Her name was Marguerite Shaw. And um, there was a man in Nigeria, a missionary in Nigeria named Alan. Uh, so Ellen, and she, she applied to the mission board, and she was accepted, and Ellen was the same mission board. He picked up uh, the, the bulletin from the mission board and looked at it, and, and somehow his attention was drawn to that face of that one young lady. I didn't think too much of it, but, you know, uh, quite uns it says quite unsuspectingly when he found his attention drawn, strangely drawn to one picture. So 5,000 uh, miles away at the mission headquarters, newly accepted uh, young lady, looked at the camera that had been placed in her hand. She had been praying for a camera. This looked like exactly the one that she wanted, but it wasn't for her. The mission director said, okay, we're sending you to the mission field. Apparently they didn't do deputation. They just you know, gave her the salary and sent her out. And they said, take this camera. There's a missionary on the field that needs this camera. So, but, but she looked at the camera and it seemed like 
the Holy Spirit was saying in her heart, this is your camera. Well, that didn't make sense. Well, she got to the mission field, and, and they gave her assign the assignment, okay? Uh, okay, four weeks later, I arrived at the language school and delivered the camera to its owner. As Alan received it from me, he recognized the picture in person, the one, the picture he had seen. Coincidence? Well, she started studying the language, and then she heard her assignment. You are to work... You are asked to work in the kitchen of the missionary rest home. Well, she, she had washed and cooked and served and washed dishes in every school she'd ever gone to and getting ready to be a missionary, different, you know, everything that she had done and at headquarters and everything. I got to wash dishes and cook. And she was very disappointed because that wasn't her idea. That wasn't her thinking. Okay. Well, she did it, and somewhat rebellious, she went ahead and did what she was told. Uh, she said, what a blow. Certainly, this was not the kind of service for which I had spent so many years in preparation. What happened? Her pride came forth. was getting the better of her. But she discovered, okay, this was a blessing, and she found Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunities, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them, them who are of the household of faith. So she learned, okay, God is in this. And her pride gradually faded away. So nine months later, she's at the kitchen sink washing cabbages. And Alan comes. There's no one else there. So he says, I think this is a good time to talk to you about this. The Lord has laid you on my heart for a possible mate. Well, the Lord hadn't laid him on her heart. <laughs> so he said, well, please pray about it. He said, okay. She said, I'll pray about it three days. And she prayed about it three days. Uh, the, her heart, the Holy Spirit seemed to say, how can you regard so lightly the guidance of a sincere Christian? She was about to say, no, it can't be. But okay, I'll pray about it three days. She prayed about it three days, and she found Isaiah 54, 5, for thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Okay, so this is not the guy. I'm just meant to be single all my life. I'll accept it somehow. <laughs> all right. So <clears throat> then a few months passed, okay, and uh, one day he said, in the Bible school I went to, I was taught that a text taken out of context is a pretext. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Hermeneutics Paul. <laughs> so she said, okay, she said, she was annoyed. Again, her pride hit her. Well, here he is criticizing the Bible verse that I believe God gave me. And so she said, okay. She said, Isaac is on the altar. I'm going to go back to God and ask for his leading. One day in her quiet time, now I've found in my life and maybe in your life too, many times the major decisions I have made, God revealed to me when I was in the word of God in prayer in my quiet time. And that's how it happened with her. In her quiet time, she read um, Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be turned desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, and thy land, and, and thy land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So, some months later, they were married on the mission field. Now, the point here is, the problem with us is in our 
thinking. Okay, the Greek word in Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you. It's actually a verb. Mind in the English is a noun, but it's actually a verb, phronete, which is the imperative of phroneo, I think. And it's, it's interesting, among you, okay, let this mind, let this thinking, or start thinking this way among you, among the church at Philippi. You guys in the church at Philippi, think this way. What way? Like Christ. Think like Christ. So the past path to victory in the area of pride and humility is not... My first, you know, when I, when I think of pride, I'm, I'm going to preach on pride or I'm going to preach on humility. My first instinct is to look up all the verses on pride and look up all the verses on humility. But no, no, this is where you go. You look at how Jesus thought. And you don't start thinking, can I become proud, or can I, am I proud, or can I be humble? No, you simply follow Jesus and think the way he thought. Now, we have in the passage here very clearly how Jesus thought. What was the mind of Christ that humbled him so that he could die for us on the cross? Uh, and we, we've all have, had experiences of humility, right? I was extremely shocked um, when I went to Wheaton College. My son and I went to Wheaton College. I was doing some research for the book I've just finished. And, and uh, a couple of years ago, I guess I did this. Got to be friends with the archivist. They're wonderful man, loves the Lord. And uh, he actually went the extra mile. And he found my mother and father's uh, academic record still in the files there at Wheaton College where they went to prepare to be missionaries to Tibet. God didn't let them go, but that's what they were preparing for. Dad got great, great, he got A's. Anything that had to do with missions, he got A's in. Other than that, he was pretty much a B student. Mom was also pretty much a B student, but I found something just extreme, extremely surprising to me. I, I love my parents. I want to say they're awesome. I honor my parents. Dad and Mom... Dad preached the gospel for 60 years. They wanted to be missionaries to Tibet. God didn't let them go. Um, uh, Dad was a humble, good, quiet man, um, sometimes a little too quiet. You wondered what he was thinking, you know. And uh, I just remember some wonderful times with my parents. Uh, but this goes to back when they were, they were you guys' age. They were in college. Okay. They had a course. They called it a Bible course. It was personal evangelism. Bible dot, dot, personal evangelism. And I looked at this on, on my mother's record, and it says F. My mother failed personal evangelism. I couldn't believe it. I told my siblings. I said, Mom, look, look at this. I sent this to my siblings. I said, Mom failed evangelism, how, personal evangelism. How could that possibly be? She turned out to be a wonderful soul winner. She took it later and got a B on it to retook it, okay? How did that happen? Mom and Dad are, uh, you know, probably they met at college, and, and, and my siblings thought, well, probably that's right about when Mom met Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, <laughs> that'll mess you up, guys. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? Meet the right girl. The wrong girl can mess you up, but the right one can too sometimes. Anyway. <laughs> And I heard from my aunts, I, I heard that when mom met dad, they fell in love so hard 
They were so incredibly much in love. My grandfather had a rule for his six daughters. You don't get married till you graduate from college. But these two were so wildly in love, he changed the rule. Okay, these two could better get married before they graduate. And they did, and they graduated and went on to serve God faithfully. And I thank God for them. The point is, though, you have to govern your thoughts according to Jesus Christ and how he thinks. Because God is surely able to take away that pride. Now, just one more illustration. We'll get more into the text here. But uh, when I was in college, I worked at a factory and, and uh, they put me on as a forklift driver for the first couple of years. I was a forklift driver, stand-up electric forklift, you know, with this wheel right here to steer with. And boy, you could whip that thing around and I'd whip it in and, and I'd be slamming the rising lever while I whipped in and I'd pick up those, cart, those uh, skids and back out. And my job was to supply the line with parts, okay, the guys on the line. So I really got to enjoy that. And one day I whipped in. Whipped in, picked up a couple of skids. You know, I'm whipping in. I'm, I'm, the forks go right in perfectly, and I pull back on the lever, and I pick it up, and I back out. Bam! I hit a bubblegum machine. <laughs> a glass one. <laughs> Big glass one. It fell over. Bam! Bubblegum all over the place. <laughs> glass all over the place. It was terrible. And, but I went, I went to the... I went to the uh, foreman and I confessed my sin and he was very gracious about it. He said, they shouldn't have put it there. I was in a bad place, but my pride was hurt. God is perfectly able to bring something in your life to take away that pride. Are you struggling with pride? Okay, get ready. Fix it today or maybe God will bring something into your life. Let's look, first of all, think of the mind of Christ, okay? As I said, that means the way, the thinking of Christ, the way Christ thought, okay, the way he thought. The path to victory is not meditating on humility, but having Christ's mind. So, the, first of all, the thinking of Christ, verses 5 and 6, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, the young lady we just wrote about <sighs> thought it was unfair that she had to wash dishes and cook on the mission field. But that was exactly the path God had for her to meet the man of her dreams. That's the mind of Christ is not saying, this is what I deserve, this is what I ought to be, but this is where God wants me. Okay. Well, sometime in your life, you're going to be in a point, maybe you already are, where you know, you're thinking, I deserve better than this. No, no, that's not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is... He was equal with God in the form of God. He is God. And he didn't think that was robbery. He didn't think that was unjust to be God. I'm God. But he looked at us and loved us and said, I'm going to die on the cross for them. And he humbled himself and became a man, a human being, a baby, and was born in the most odd, strange place for a baby ever to be born in, in a manger, and born and laid in a manger in a in a place with horses and cows. And, you know, we like the nice Christmas scenes, but uh, if you've ever been in a place where there are lots of horses and cows, you end up doing this, right? <laughs> it was not a happy place for the baby Jesus to be born in. Humble himself and became the least of all a baby and then grew up to be despised and rejected by his own people. 
This is the main clause. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the main clause. And after that, then we're going to learn three ways in which he did that. But the think, it's all about the thinking of Christ. It's not, like I said, it's phroneo. It's not merimnao, uh, which is in Matthew 6, 25. Um, uh, take no thought for the morrow. Don't think about the morrow. That's a negative way. No, this is a positive way. How do you think? Okay, so let this thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You become what you think. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If your thoughts in your mind, the way you think, is proud, I deserve A, I deserve B, I'm better than he is, I'm better than she is, that's what you become, proud. Let this way of thinking be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The battle for humility and the battle against pride takes place here, right here, in the thinking of Christ. So do you make your own decisions without prayer? Philippians 4, 6, and everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. There is nothing, no decision you make that should not be prayed about. Let this, mind, let this mind be in you. He, he prayed about everything. Just look at Christ. He prays, he's praying all the time. Going up into the mountain all night. Going into the garden, praying for hours before they arrested him. All the time Jesus was praying. He, he could have made his own decisions, but he didn't. He let the Holy Spirit guide him. My grandfather had a wonderful sermon. How Jesus, our pattern, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea being... Christ did no ministry until the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove when at his baptism. He humbled himself, did nothing until the Holy Spirit came along to help him. Okay? Do you compare yourself to others? This is a big one. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. This is a convicting verse. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. All right. I'm in 1 Corinthians, but you know that one works too. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. <laughs> That'll work too, but 2 Corinthians is where we want to go. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Do you ever have the thought, hmm, I'm smarter at Greek than he is? <laughs> Maybe you're not. Maybe he just hadn't hit his full stride yet. Uh, Dr. Paul told me that the author of our textbook made a D, was it, the first time he took Greek? Yeah, made a D the first time he took Greek. Now he's a Greek scholar. No, don't think that way. Don't compare yourself. Never compare yourself. Well, I did this better than he did. Okay. Oh, or the other way. Oh, she's got a prettier voice than I do. That's irrelevant. I took voice in college. Okay. I took one semester of voice in college. I quit when they said you got to sing before the student body, which was about <laughs> 5,000 people. <laughs> My father, I found out from, the, from this record, my father took voice. Uh, he never was a soloist, though. He took voice at, at Wheaton College, never was a soloist. 
uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, some of you have much better voices than I, many of you, well, maybe all of you have much better voices than I do, but I'm not going to be thinking, um, oh, I wish I had his voice, because then I'd have to stand up here and sing in front of everybody. <laughs> I can talk, I can preach, I love that, but uh, uh, I, I don't really have a desire to sing in front of everybody. But don't compare yourself. Don't say he's better or he's worse. Don't say she's smarter or she's uh, less skilled than I am. That's, that's, all of that is totally the way to pride. That's not what Christ thought. Christ's entire thought was upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and the will of the Father. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was Christ's path. That's the way Christ thought. Don't even think about it. Don't wonder what other people think of you. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Going back to Philippians once more. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean I'm really good in playing the violin, and I'm pretty sure I'm better than she is, but okay, I ought to esteem her better. Okay, so I really think she's better than I am, even though I know she's not. <laughs> it's not what that's talking about, okay? Each esteem others more important, more vital to the cause of Christ. That's the path to take. Don't stop and say, okay, uh, how do I esteem this person better? No, just don't stop and think about it. Just esteem them. Everyone you meet, you ought to esteem. That is a soul for whom Christ died. The first story in this, in this little book that I showed you is about a guy that was a drug addict that got saved and just trying to feel his way through life. He was at, in the college group at, at church and just you know, come, came from a totally bad lifestyle and didn't dress nicely and his hair was awful. Uh, but a, but a young lady said hello to him, kindly and friendly. And that changed his life, just that little hello. And he turned out to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter what they are doing. Esteem them. Esteem everyone. Uh, I have a little book, but it's actually by a Lutheran pastor. It's not self-esteem. The title is Christ-esteem. If you are esteeming Christ, you will see his potential in those people around you. Don't even think about yourself. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Okay, sacrificing yourself. Don't even think about yourself. New Zealand. A welder, a Christian man, and a family man had three children. Okay, he he went over to a friend's house, September 2018. Went over to a friend's house. He was a professional welder. Okay, and went over to a friend's house to help his friend weld an exhaust pipe onto a classic Holden Kingswood sedan. That's an Australian vehicle, uh, 1960s and 1970s was very popular. Okay. Beautiful car. I looked it up on the internet. Now, when you weld, uh, regular welding takes oxygen and acetylene, okay? And they mix in the nozzle. Now, I did what was called MIG welding at that factory, and uh, it's somewhat different. The wire comes out, you push button, the wire comes out, you know, and, and it welds onto the metal. But uh, 
This guy was doing regular welding. It takes oxygen and acetylene. Now, somehow he experimented and got both of these into one bottle. That's not how you weld. He should have known better. He was a professional. You do two separate bottles and they mix. When they mix, that's when the fire comes out. But somehow he got them into one bottle and his friend saw that and said, I'm not coming, I'm not staying here. And his friend left. Sure enough, when he started the welder, it exploded because those two mixed together in the bottle and an explosion occurred, killed him. He wasn't thinking. He certainly wasn't thinking like a welder. If we're a Christian, we, are, we ought to be thinking like Christ. Christian, Christ. Okay, so let's look at the three ways then that are listed here. First of all, think of his reputation. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, look, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Boy, that really gets us a reputation. What do others think about us? So Sunday, I was uh, sitting in the service with my wife, ninth row up, left side, right next to the aisle, okay? That's where my wife likes to sit, and I like to sit next to her, so that's where I go. <laughs> Works out well. So I'm sitting there in, inside of my wife, and uh, just before the service, three people come and sit down, uh, one away from me, you know, and I look over, and they're obviously visitors, and and uh, watching them, they didn't know how to, which was the songbook and which was the hymn book. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I'm showing them, this is the songbook, this is a hymn book. And they got, we got into the message and it didn't have a Bible. So I loaned him my Bible, you know, the guy sitting right here. And, and he had a ponytail and long hair, you know, and, and uh, cowboy boots on and jeans. And, and uh, so I uh, handed him my Bible and, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you got to speak to him after the service. Better not leave. You're supposed to speak to this man. Okay. So, guess what thought popped up in my mind? Well, if he's not saved, I should be able to tell if he, ask him if he's saved, you know, and if, that, if he's not saved, maybe I can witness to him, you know, right here after the church service. And, and, uh, um, and, and then on next week's Sunday school, Torchbearer's record, you know, you get that little card I can put, I witnessed to someone. That's not it, guys. <laughs> That's my reputation. Okay, I, I'm, I gotta get the right reputation. I gotta be witnessing so people know that I'm witnessing. No, 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 that's not it at all. It's compassion for his soul. After the service, I did talk to him and uh, didn't, didn't really get the opportunity to go into the gospel, but the, his, I think it's his wife that had come next to him, and then another lady that was next to them, and they had come several times before, and, and uh, he, he thanked me for loaning the Bible. He was very polite and, and so forth, and, and I learned his name and, and uh, didn't get the chance to witness to him, but, but, you know, it's not my decision. It's the Holy Spirit leading to tell you what to do, and it's not for my reputation. It's not so I will look around and see if any of the students are watching me so I can be the big example. That's not it. It's God's will. What does God want? Okay. He did not use his true position, the position of the Son of God in the Trinity. The way up for a Christian is down. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. 
James 4.10. 1 Peter 5.6. I don't recall exactly what that says. Got to look it up. Okay. 1 Peter 4.6. Where's Peter? Comes before Revelation, doesn't it? There we go. Okay. And that verse says, for, for this cause, <clears throat> okay, yeah, five, six. <laughs> All right, there goes my pride right there. <laughs> Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You humble yourself, and then God doesn't have to do it. How do you humble yourself? The mind of Christ. Think like Christ did. Don't live for reputation. Uh, remember, David, in 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-six. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-six. <clears throat> thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Boy, we have... You know, these desires, I want to be great. I want to be a great preacher. I want to build a great church. How does that happen? The gentleness of God does it, not your efforts. You simply obey God, follow and go where he wants you to, and obey the Holy Spirit, and do what God wants you to, even if it looks small to you. And the gentleness of God is what will do the trick. The mind of Christ, let this thinking be in Christ. young man named... Young Japanese man named uh, Tetsu Shiohara got on a train, went from Tokyo, uh, probably on a car. I don't think a train goes up to Mount Fuji. Went up to Mount Fuji, and uh, he was on the Nico Nico platform of uh, of uh, uh, not, it's kind of like Facebook, but he he was going to take a video of himself live streaming climbing Mount Fuji. Problem was, it was in October. They closed Mount Fuji, at, they closed the paths up at the end of August for a very good reason. It becomes incredibly cold the higher you go, and, it, and there's no, no one there to help you if you get in trouble. Well, his, his uh, title on Nico Nico platform was Tedzu. So that's the name he went by, Tedzu, on, on this Facebook type platform. And he, and he live streamed himself climbing up it. And, He'd get up a little higher and he'd say, man, I should have brought some hot packs with me, heat packs. This is really cold. But he kept climbing. He didn't have the right clothing on. He didn't have the right shoes on. My wife and I have climbed Mount Fuji. Let me tell you, it's a lot of people climb it every year during the summer, okay? It's not a hard climb as far as mountain goes, but it is, mountains go ahead, but it is the highest mountain in Japan, 12,389 feet in October. And he's trying to climb it. He got close to the summit, still showing himself, oh, I'm almost there, oh man, it's cold here, and he slipped. And he dropped his phone, and he fell. And they found his body at 9,800 feet. He fell hundreds of feet to his death. What was he thinking? I want everyone to be impressed with me. I'm climbing Mount Fuji in October. It killed him. Let this mind be in you. Forget your reputation. Secondly, Christ obeyed. Verse 8, 
Back to Philippians 2 and verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You will never succeed in the ministry until you let Christ run things, and you will never succeed in the ministry until you're willing to die. Okay? Rebellion, remember, 1 Samuel, Samuel told Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Think about that. Next time the Lord tells you to do something and you want to go your own way, it's as bad as if you were casting spells on people. That's what witches do. They cast spells. They call up people from the dead in the Bible. They, they do all sorts of things that are wicked and evil. That's how bad it is to disobey. Next time God says, this is what I want you to do, and you don't do it, that's rebellion. And we as Christians, you know, oh, we got the big picture. I'm here at BCM. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a teacher, whatever. I'm, I'm doing right. But sometimes it's the little things, right, where we rebel. The obedience of Christ. He obeyed even unto death. What would you do if you were in a culture where they killed people for believing in Jesus? Will you still have a faithful witness for Christ? I could die doing this. This is dangerous. Are you still willing to do it? Okay. You know what? There's, there are few things more glorious than dying for the cause of Christ. In the early church, that was their goal, to become a martyr. They thought that would be the best thing possible for a Christian, to become a martyr, to be killed for the cause of Christ. And so you have Justin Martyr, who died for the cause of Christ. That he wasn't called martyr until after he died. You know that? You can't be a martyr until you die for it. And you, you may remember from your Greek class, martyria, martyria testimony, mar, okay? The word martyr comes from the word for testimony, okay? You give a testimony in the early Romans, Roman Empire until the 4th century, you're likely to die. That's true in many countries now. You give a testimony, they're likely to take you in and put you in prison and probably kill you. The cause of Christ. The obedience of Christ, even unto death. Well, then the glory of Christ. Look at verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Want to glorify God the Father? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Witness for Christ. Speak for Christ. Be a testimony for Christ. Possibly even be a martyr for Christ. That day may come. Growing up at your age, I never even one time thought, okay, we could be killed in America for, for witnessing for Christ. But... Uh, Oh, it's, it might be possible in America nowadays. As, as we continue our slide, okay, uh, has anyone ever been to Stone Mountain, Georgia? Yeah, quite a few of you. Remember there's a fence on top? Why'd they put that fence there? Because Stone Mountain, Georgia, absolutely gigantic mountain. It's got a big, huge carved out horse on it, and there's a rider on it. Anyone know who the rider of that horse is? General Lee or somebody? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. All right, ask a southerner, and there you go. Okay. Uh, just an awesome, absolutely huge one stone. That's all it is. But you get close to the edge, and it's a slope, and you can't go back. And people actually died before they put that fence up there. Okay. Well, we're coming in America to where we're getting closer to the edge, where who knows what's going to happen. Are you committed in your heart to follow the path of Jesus Christ no matter what? Are you committed to follow the will of Jesus Christ no matter what, no matter where it takes you? I, I'm here to tell you there's absolutely nothing better than to follow the will of Christ. Uh, I rebelled when God called me to Japan. Uh, as a sophomore in college, I said, the Lord uh, laid on my heart, and the Holy Spirit said to me, would you go to Tokyo, Japan, if I wanted you to? And I said, no way, because <laughs> the preacher from Japan was saying it's one of the most crowded places on, the, on earth, and uh, I didn't want crowded places. My dream at that point in my college career was just go pastor a little church somewhere out in the sticks, and I could study all day, you know, and preach great sermons on Sunday, and maybe get someone saved once in a while. That was my dream. And God said, I want you to go to the second most crowded place on the planet, Tokyo. Hong Kong's the most cr crowded. Finally, by the end of the week of that missionary conference, I was able to say, okay, yes, Lord, I'll go. Then I started praying about Hong Kong, the most, most crowded place on earth. Missionaries couldn't get in any way, shape, or form at that point, but, uh, but uh, ABWE, I think it was, had a... Uh, they had a seminary there in Hong Kong and a ministry in Hong Kong. And I thought, well, maybe I could go there, you know. I love the Chinese people and everything. So I forgot about Japan. And then in my devotions, uh, after I went to seminary, I'm having my devotions Romans, uh, in Romans. And, and I read where, uh, uh, let me see, Romans 10, I guess. Uh, so have I strive to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they that have not heard shall understand. And I always forget that second verse. I'm terrible at memorization. But there it is. And God spoke to my heart through that. Yes, I want you to go to Japan. So we went to Japan, the place I didn't want to go. Didn't you love Japan? Well, I loved the Japanese because I called me there, but I didn't like, still didn't like crowded places. That's okay. It's for Jesus. Okay? If it's for Jesus, you can do it. And sometimes we get asked, uh, do you want to go back to Japan? Uh, and no, not really. <laughs> I'm very happy here. This is where God had me for me after Japan. I'm very happy here. Uh, love talking to Brother Okado and his wife, though. They sit right in front of us every time, and we always have a little fellowship. We've had them over at our house, and, and boy, they brought us some senbei, Japanese rice crackers, awesome stuff. Oh, boy, and then we missed Japan for a little bit, but do uh, you want to go back to Japan? No, I've got a lot of friends there still, and I correspond all the time with people from Japan, uh, but uh, hey, we're happy here. The will of God is absolutely the best place you can possibly be. Well, what if the will of God leads me to a place where they might kill me? Hey, wonderful. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, Jesus said, if you're persecuted. Hallelujah, I get to be persecuted. I, I've thought occasionally recently, maybe some of you heard me say that, uh, um, you know, I've, I've often, not often, but once in a while, I'll, I'll just kind of imagine, what if I'm standing before a judge that is about to condemn me to death? 
for preaching Jesus Christ. And he says, I condemn you to death in the electric chair for preaching Jesus Christ. What would I say? I know what I hope I'd say. I'd say, thank you, judge. I get to go to heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. That'd be great. Well, the torture part, I don't think I'd like the torture part if they put me to torture, but um, hey, maybe that increases your reward in heaven. I'm not real sure. You know, the mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, threw away his reputation, followed the will of God, not only for him, but for all of us, and became obedient unto death. Being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Where is glory? It's after that. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. And here, here's where we come in, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We get to bow down to Jesus in heaven for all eternity. You know, lost people wouldn't enjoy heaven. Sometimes you read something, an article or a cartoon or something mocking the idea of sitting on a cloud all day strumming a harp. But if you're doing it, strumming a harp to praise Jesus, we would love it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this marvelous passage on the humility of Christ. May we have that humility. May we follow Christ in such a way that we think like Christ. Lord, we fail often, but you can give us the strength to do this. And I pray that you would, in Jesus' name, amen.